0: 262 CP Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: So, the question that you have to have, because everybody has this, is this then why doesn't he answer us right away, especially if he knows we're hurting? I mean, why have us continue in our hurt? When God is all-powerful, couldn't he answer right away? Sure, God can do anything. But he doesn't always do that. And the answer is this, why does he delay? Because prayer isn't only about getting what you and I want. That's not what prayer is about. That's not the only aspect of prayer. But prayer is also about God developing our character. It's about spending time with him. It's about knowing him better.
2: How do you handle a crisis when it comes your way? Do you hunker down and ride it out? Do you confront it directly and do everything you can to overcome it? Or do you ask God to show you how to deal with it? I hope that the first thing you do is go to God. But what should we say to Him? Pastor Steve Kreloff will consider those issues today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been teaching from a wonderful but often overlooked Old Testament book, Nehemiah. Today, we'll spend a few moments reviewing the benefits of acknowledging God's greatness when we face a crisis before moving on to another vital aspect of prayer, especially during stressful times. Keep a marker in your Bible at Nehemiah chapter 1, and let's get ready to look at Jeremiah chapter 32. Here's Pastor Steve.
1: Now keep in mind that even though your problem is great, God is greater. God is, that, that's a profound statement. God is greater than your problems. In fact, I'll, I'll take it a step further. God has no problems. God has never had a problem. Ha, have you ever meditated on that? God has no problem. What you and I think is so horrible and uh, and so traumatic to us, it's not a problem to God. God has never had a problem. God will never have a problem. God is greater. He has no problems, and there's nothing that he can do. Listen to the words of Jeremiah, chapter 32. This has always encouraged me, and, and it's a great, uh, great verse to to memorize. Jeremiah 32, verses 17 and then verse 27. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. What a great statement. We believe that? No amens? Amen. Okay, thank you. Verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? I mean, that's a great, great question. And the answer is, of course not. Lord, what can't you do? You can do everything. You know, Habakkuk faced a similar situation. Habakkuk was on the other side of history with Nehemiah, Habakkuk was told that the Babylonians were going to come in and ravage the land and take the people into captivity. And Habakkuk uh, couldn't quite understand this because the Babylonians were far more wicked ...than the people of Judah, and yet God was going to raise up the Babylonians... ...to correct and, and punish the people of Judah, and Habakkuk couldn't understand this. And his, the first chapter of Habakkuk is his confusion. He doesn't know what's going on. He can't figure it out. But I love this. in In the midst of this, in the midst of his horrors and the situation he's facing... He says in verse 12, art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? We will not die. Thou, O Lord, hast appointed them to judge, and thou, O Rock, has established them to correct. I mean, in the midst of, of all this, God, Habakkuk affirms that God is holy. He may not understand what's going on, but he knows that God is holy. And so the principle is this, you hold on to what you do know, not what you don't know. You hold on to the fact that you know God is great, you know God is faithful, you know God is loving, you know God is holy, you know all of the attributes of God even if you don't know how to figure figure out the problem. Actually, it's not even for you to figure it out. God will do it. But the first step is to praise Him and to adore Him and to acknowledge His greatness. You see, when you see God for who He is, you've got a little problem. When your God is big, your problem is small. When you're God, when you reduce God to being small in your mind, then you've got a big problem. It's as simple as that. God is is big. God is great. So the next time you face a virtually impossible situation, you've got to remember to adore the Lord. You you've got to put your problem aside, and adore and worship the Lord, remembering to praise Him for who He is. Remembering uh, that with Him all things are possible. Jesus said that all things are possible. See your crisis in light of who he is. Forget for a few moments how it's going to turn out. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but you're speaking to the one who is bigger than your problem, and he'll have it turn out for his own glory and your own good. So encourage your heart by meditating on his greatness. And, of course, you need to know who he is. You need to know what attributes he has. So, and this isn't only for crisis praying. Actually, we ought to always enter his presence by, by acknowledging how great he is. So that's the first element of crisis praying. Will you mark that down to do that, that this week you're going to do that, that you're going to start now? Don't just hear the word and let it go in one ear and out the next. God delights in that. Nehemiah did that. Daniel did that as well. Habakkuk did that. Men and women of faith do that. They acknowledge God's greatness. He's bigger than the problem, so don't focus on the problem. The second element of Christ's praying is not only acknowledge God's greatness, but be persistent. This is so, so important. Be persistent. The beginning of verse 6 we read, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee. Watch this day and night. Day and night. With these words, Nehemiah reveals how long he sought the Lord about his crisis. He said day and night. But the question is, how many days? How many nights? Well, well let's look. Notice verse 1 of this chapter. He says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, meaning the 20th year of the king. 20th year of this king who was named Artaxerxes while I was in Susa, the capital. So he starts to pray in the, uh, in the month of Kislev, you know what the month of, the Jewish month of Kislev is? It's November, December. This is the month of Kislev. I just recently uh, saw a Jewish calendar, and it said Kislev, though it was spelled with a K. It's Kislev. This is the month of, of Kislev. So he started in November, December, praying night and day. Then turn over to chapter 2, verse 1. It came about in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So he prayed up until this time. So the question is what, is, what is Nisan? Nisan is March, April. That's when he got the answer. So for four or five months, depending on what time of the month he prayed and what time it was answered, for four or five months he prayed night and day concerning the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and him going to rebuild it. He prayed for about four months, let's say. I wonder if during those four months, Nehemiah ever felt like quitting. We're not given an indication that he did. I wonder if he ever felt like giving up because he didn't see anything happen. But he didn't quit. He didn't give up like, like we're prone to do. He didn't grow discouraged. Instead, he persevered and was persistent until the answer came from God. He prayed for the same thing day and night for four months, maybe five months. What a lesson this is for us. What an incredible lesson on perseverance that during a crisis, our hearts are are heavy. We're often in, in a desperate plight, and we want answers from God quickly, and that's understandable. Nobody enjoys going through a crisis, nobody enjoys a heaviness of heart. We would love the answer right now, but God is not a cosmic bellboy. God's not like that. The moment you say, Lord, I'd like you to do this, He doesn't jump up and say, Yes, Master. We're not the Master. We don't tip him and say, do whatever I tell you to do and do it now. Get these bags up to the room. He's not like that. God's timing is perfect. And when he delays to answer a prayer, it's because he knows what he's doing. He he is all wise. He knows what he's doing. Jesus told us to be persistent. I mean, there's a specific parable about this. Remember this in Luke chapter 18? Jesus said, verse 1 now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart when you're going through a crisis there's a tendency to lose heart jesus taught taught us to pray and not lose heart just the opposite of what we do saying there was a certain uh, a certain city there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man and there was a certain widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying give me legal protection from my opponents and for a while he was unwilling but afterward he said to himself even though i don't fear God nor respect man yet because of this widow because this widow bothers me i will give her legal protection lest by continually coming she wear me out and the Lord uh, said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he, de- will he delay long over them? What the Lord was saying is, look, God is not like this unrighteous judge. It's a parable of a contrast. Not all parables are similar. What, what Jesus was saying, if, if a sinful, unrighteous judge will do this, don't you think that God... Will answer your prayers that God is willing to, just be persistent. God wants you to be persistent. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus had a, a great statement for us when he said in, in verse 11, Ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. And in the Greek language, it's, it's keep doing these things, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf? He'll give him a stone. What kind of nut would do that? What kind of a father would do that? Or if he shall ask for a fish, will he not give him a, a snake? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? I mean, if if we want to give what's best to our children, how much more shall God give what's best to us? Because God is a loving, kind Father. So the question that you have to have, because everybody has this, is this, then why doesn't he answer us right away, especially if he knows we're hurting? I mean, why have us continue in our hurt? When God is all-powerful, couldn't he answer right away? Sure. God can do anything. But he doesn't always do that. And the answer is this. Why does he delay? Because prayer isn't only about getting what you and I want. That's not what prayer is about. That's not the only aspect of prayer. But prayer is also about God developing our character. It's about spending time with him. It's about knowing him better. You wouldn't want your children to just rush into your presence and say, I'd like this. And you go, okay. And then you don't speak to them again. They don't come to say anything to you for another half a year. What kind of a relationship is that? You want your children to talk to you. You want them to communicate. You want them to open up. Why? Because you develop a relationship that way. Someone has written this. Prayer is like a time exposure to God. Our souls function like photographic plates, and Christ's shining image is the light. The more we expose our lives to the white-hot sun of his righteous life for, say, 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes or an hour a day the more his image will be burned into our character. His love, his compassion, his truth, his integrity, his humility. That is a wonderful statement. The more time you spend with the Lord in prayer, the more you become like him. And and notice something here, just an illustration of this in Nehemiah. Notice verse 11, I'll read it again. O Lord, I beseech thee, May thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servants, and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name, and make thy servants successful today, and grant him compassion before this man. It would appear that the longer Nehemiah prayed, the more it became apparent to him that he's the man, he's the man, that he's the one God planned to send to Jerusalem. I don't think that he knew this right away, he was just broken hearted. It just broken hard. But the more he prayed, the more it became clear that He was the man God was preparing for this task. And I think the principle is this: As we persist in prayer, not only do you get to know the Lord better, but God will give you insight as to how He's going to solve the problem. He's developing you, He's preparing you. He's getting you ready. He's making you more like Christ, and he's impressing upon you how he's going to solve this crisis. That's certainly what happened with Nehemiah. That that would appear to be the the circumstances. So God uses prayer to change us, to build conviction into our souls, to make us submissive to his his will, to prepare us for when he does answer our prayer. And, And that's why you need to be persistent. That's why you need to persevere. But I'm afraid we seldom do that. I'm afraid that what we do is we face a crisis and we bring it to the Lord once, twice. Maybe we bring it to a prayer meeting. Uh, we share with others and then we forget about it and we just conclude God doesn't really care. Uh, he's not going to answer. He's giving me wisdom. I've got to go do it. I don't know that that's the right thing. In fact, I know that's the wrong thing. We're to be persistent. If you have it on your heart that what you're praying about is biblical and your motives are to honor Jesus Christ, then stick with it. Nehemiah stuck with this day and night for four to five months. Stick with it. Don't don't just pray once or twice and then then conclude, well, God's not going to do it. God wants you to spend time in prayer. And maybe what you need to do is fast. Maybe you need to, to, and by fasting, it could be a few days, and and take a beverage, by the way. Take take a drink. But uh, it could be just missing a meal. But if something is such a burden to you, take some time off from eating food Unless you have some serious medical problem. Take some time off from eating food and seek the Lord. The time that you would give to the food, give to the Lord. That's what fasting is about. But that's a tremendous truth. Be persistent. Don't give up. If you're going through a crisis now and, and you've you have prayed about it and you just left it with the Lord, don't leave it there. Continue. You don't bother him. It's not nagging. You're not wearing him down. He's building you up. And he may be delaying so that you would spend time with him so he would build character into your life. Build conviction also about what you're praying for. Make you submissive to him and prepare you for the answer. So that's the second element of Christ's praying. So, what have we looked at? First of all, acknowledge God's greatness. You need to do You need to apply these things. These are very practical, what we're going over today. Secondly, you need to be persistent. Anybody can be persistent. Anybody. And anybody can acknowledge God's greatness. But there's a third element, and that is confess. Your sin. Notice the end of verse 6, after he prayed about night and day, he said he prayed night and day on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, I and my father's house have sinned, we have acted very corruptly against thee, and have not kept thy commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, uh, which thou didst command thy servant Moses. With these words, Nehemiah launches into a confession of his nation's guilt. And he includes himself and his father's household in that. It wasn't just them, it was us, Lord. It was us. Now you must understand the reason that Jerusalem was a broken city and the reason they were in such pitiful conditions is because the people had continually uh, rebelled against the Mosaic law and the only way to be restored to God's blessing was for the people to repent and confess their sin. God said, if you disobey me, I will discipline you. That's, that's part of the Mosaic Covenant, Deuteronomy 28. If you disobey me, I will discipline you, and ultimately I'll cast you out of the land, and your cities will be broken. And they were. But he also said, if you repent, I'll bring you back to the land, and I'll restore you. In fact, um, a verse that's often used out of context, which is not for the United States of America, but is for Israel and their brokenness, is 2 Chronicles 7, 13, in which the word says, uh, 13 and 14, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal heal their land. The land he's talking about is the land of Israel. The land of Israel. God hears our prayers in the sense that he responds to them only when we confess and Repent. Remember what he said in Psalm 66, verse 18, the great verse, if if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. Regarding iniquity is is more than struggling with sin. All of us struggle with sin issues. Regarding iniquity is saying, I know this is wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not struggling. I may feel bad, but I'm not struggling. I'm not looking for victory. I know this is wrong. I know this attitude is wrong. I know this action is wrong, and I'm not repenting of it. I'm not turning away from it. I'm not changing my mind about it then don't bother praying because God's not going to respond to your, your prayer. You know, in, in, our, in our haste to resolve a, a crisis, sometimes we fail to acknowledge our guilt. We like to blame it on other people. It's their fault that I'm in this situation. But sometimes we fail to acknowledge that we may be a part of creating the crisis. Not always. Obviously, the, the death of a loved one, we didn't create that crisis. But many times we have. Sometimes we have a very big part in creating our own problems. And that's one reason why God doesn't take us through a crisis too quickly. Because the more time you spend in prayer, uh, the more you see your sin, your responsibility, your failure. So, and God brings us to that point, so we'll repent. We'll confess our sins. And confession simply means to agree with God. And it's not, Lord, if I've done this. It's, no, Lord, I have done this. I mean I, I've heard Christians pray, Lord, if I've if I've done anything to offend you, that's not confession. Confession is, is something that says, Lord, I'm rotten, I lied. I lusted, I was jealous, I was ungracious what I said to this person, I did it, I am wrong, please forgive me. That is confession. Not if I did this, it's I did it. And I'm agreeing with you, God, it's wrong, it's horrible, it's wicked. That's confession. And repentance is a change of mind, which involves a a turning away from sin. That is is what God is looking for. And when you go through a crisis, you need to ask not only yourself, but you need to ask the Lord, what responsibility have I played in creating this? If you're in a financial crisis, uh, maybe you're the blame. If you're in a marital crisis, uh, Stop praying just for the other person, but start praying also for yourself. What have you done to to bring this about? Ask God to search your heart. Maybe you haven't done anything. Maybe it is the other person, but you've got to be thinking that way. And when God shows you something that's wrong, you need to confess your sin. And if you've sinned against an individual, you need to go to that individual, confess it, and ask them to forgive you. So there's a real cleansing aspect to a crisis. God uses it to reveal our own hearts, our motives, and it's a, a very purifying thing. And also, we, we want to confess our sin as a way of reminding ourselves that we don't deserve to be delivered from this crisis. We don't deserve it. It's all by God's grace. Sometimes we think we, we uh, have it coming to us. Life ought to be great. That this is a horrible thing and we don't deserve it. Actually, we deserve far more than this. We deserve hell.
2: So far, we have seen three elements of crisis prayers first, acknowledge God's greatness, second, be persistent in our praying. And third, we must confess our sins if we want Him to hear us. On the next verse by verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will introduce us to a fourth element of prayer during difficult situations. We are glad to have had you with us today. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He is teaching from the book of Nehemiah, and today's class was the middle portion of a three part message part of a series of messages that will take us verse-by-verse through the entire book. These radio Bible classes are produced by by Verse-by-Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry, and Pastor Steve would like to spend just a minute telling about how you can help keep these lessons on the air. I'm Pastor Steve
1: Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse-by-Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. Two things come to my mind. One was a lady who wrote a letter to us and said, you make the word of God sound easy. I mean, that was, she was saying you, you make it understandable. And I actually hung that letter up in my office. You make the word of God easy to understand. And that's really what we want to do. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727 441 one seven one four, or drop us a line at P.O. Box fifty eight eighty four, Clearwater, Florida three three seven five eight. That's P.O. Box fifty eight eighty four, Clearwater, Florida three three seven five eight.
2: Thanks, Pastor Steve. To learn more or to download any of our hundreds of audio files, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. For more information on giving, click the support us link. That's versebyverseradio.org. To order a CD or cassette with the entire message we heard a part of today, call us at 727-239-0306. If necessary, leave your name and a daytime phone number, and we'll call you back during business hours. That's 727-239-0306. One type of praying that I especially enjoy is scripture praying. In essence, we are praying God's words right back to him. As much as I enjoy it, I believe he enjoys it more. Does that mean that God is absent-minded and forgets his promises? Does he count on us to keep him honest? (laughs) No more so than a school teacher who asks a student to tell what he or she has learned. And when we choose to quote his promises when we talk to him, we are engaged in the fourth element of prayer that will bring solutions to our crises. Recounting God's promises in our prayers has wonderful effects. No matter how hard we lean on them, we can never bend or break one of them. Let's all plan to get back here
0: for the next.